With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyon. Hello. What's going on? Not much, it's been a few weeks. Yeah, I know. Last week's episode was taped at like midnight your time. Oof. So. Yeah, I don't know. As much as I enjoy <laughs> talking about whether or not the U is back, that would have been a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jerry was nice enough to come on, but Jerry worked some uh, some late hours on the East Coast. Figured figured you were definitely in bed. If not, I was probably not of the right mindset to break down, you know, ACC football. I would just ramble on about Duke Johnson a bunch because that's all I really would have been able to, to put together there. I know the surprising thing for me was that I hadn't even seen this, that uh, that Ryan Williams might actually be back. And he's even looking Yeah, I saw that too. That'd be an interesting uh, little foil compared to what we we thought we were getting from Miami, which is still not. We have, who knows? Like they could have the not to talk about Miami too much in this one, but between heaps and and uh, the guys they already had and uh, uh, KN, I think is the freshman. Um, that quarterback situation is probably maybe the most interesting in the in the conference. Yeah, it feels like despite the fact that everyone's kind of breaking in new quarterbacks or fairly green quarterbacks, it does feel like Miami's the only one that doesn't necessarily have a decision on which green quarterback that they're going with. Yeah. It's definitely been kind of nice uh, the last couple, you know, the last week or so with media days and everything, we've seen a lot of lists and, and different rankings. And it seems like, I mean... I'm sure people will still think that it's too low, but for the most part, I've seen Terrell Hunt generally in the five to six range of like all of these top quarterbacks in the ACC list, which is nice. Like, I, I don't think it's it's too far off from where we should expect him to be as Syracuse fans. And it's good to see. This seems like the first year where the outside expectations of the program are, you know, maybe a little lower than we fans expect, but they're still like reasonable. Like. It seems like everyone's pretty much saying we're going to go fourth in the Atlantic and, and finish like sits and sits. And while I think as fans we'd be slightly disappointed by, by at least the sits and sits part, the division standings are kind of, you know, who knows how that works out. Um, I think we'd be like, we'd, we'd survive that. 
agree there. I know um, I saw that feedback from Janice Winston and uh, Marquise Williams, who were, like, super impressed with uh, with Hunt. They were saying they were both at uh, one of the camps together this summer. And the two of them seemed to think, you know, like, Hunt really had shit together. Like, the guy really knew how to put in work, like, really, like, understood – you know, what was demanded of him as a starting quarterback going into camp. And, and I mean, as a Syracuse fan, you, you can't see that as anything, like, encouraging. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure, like, you know, you had to take it with a grain of salt. Like, Winston, while occasionally prone to bad judgment, isn't going to go out there and just, you know, trash someone. But it did seem like watching all those videos with Terrell and everything that they seemed to really put together a nice, you know, a good bond. And it's definitely kind of cool to see the conference really coming together as a whole and, and including Syracuse and Pitt. And I, I think Florida State winning the national championship has a lot to do with it. Uh, really, to, you know, a blow against the SEC, which was really the only conference that really felt like it had that kind of unity and the Big Ten a little bit because they have the whole culture thing. But the ACC is kind of like ragtag in terms of the setup compared to those two where they make, you know, they're more consistent aside from like Rutgers and Maryland and, and, you know, a couple of uh, SEC schools. But I think it's cool to see the conference take pride in itself, which I'm not sure we've seen as much of recently. I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, on that note, um, I guess we'll get to talking about NC State. I know we never really have anything nice to say about them, so we're going to try to say some nice things. Yeah, we'll do it our best. I mean, they, they have... Uh, also an interesting quarterback situation, but it seems to be more settled. Well, what I don't, I mean, and, and here we go, we're jumping right in, is that just like last year, we, we start with the same exact questions, that what is it about NC State, besides this, a very manageable slash joke non-conference schedule, that makes anyone think this team can and not only make a bowl game, but some people think finish ahead of us in standing. Um, I think Jacoby Brissett is in, interesting and from Florida. And while I caution people to get too excited, considering I watched Florida play offense last year, and it was not great. <laughs> um, he is like an SEC player with a pedigree. Um, and Doran, you know, should have his players a little more ready to, to adopt the system and, and, and take it forward. So I can see where people are interested by what NC State will do this year. Um, and there are new pieces, but they still, you know, lose some, some, you know, pretty good players. Um, asking a quarterback to step right in as a transfer and, and be an awesome, you know, an awesome top five in the league quarterback is asking a lot, as we saw last year firsthand. Um, obviously, Brissette's a little younger than Allen, than Drew Allen was, but it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's, um, I can see where there, there's potential and, and intrigue, but I'm not entirely sure that's going to translate into the year that some people expect NC State to have, where they think they're going to finish, you know, third or fourth in the league, which I think a couple of people probably voted for. Um, definitely not third. I mean, maybe and maybe they could beat us out, but um, and and I think they probably have more upside this year than than BC or or Wake, obviously. Um, but I don't really see it, them being a huge challenge, uh, you know, in terms of getting into that upper echelon of the ACC Atlantic this year. 
Yeah, I mean, that's my thing with the state. I think they, they're definitely better, and I know we harped on personnel with them last year, and I think it's worth bringing up again, that, you know, until you're, like, two, until you're like a good full two seasons into a complete, um, you know, philosophy change like they are with Darn, like, I just think you... I think you're kind of operating in a, I guess, in, in a bit of a vacuum, and you really need to, you know, wave it out. And and you can see improvement within that, you know, again, vacuum that that's created, but you might not see it uh, in the win-loss column. And until until this team is, you know, at least half, like half or more guys that that Darn brought in, and and really, you know, kind of buy into his system. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, you look at the players they need to, uh, you know, replace. Like for the most part, you know, Brian Underwood was a was a quality target at receiver last year, but he's never been the go-to guy. He has to do that this year. And beyond that, he's surrounded by a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Um, I mean, the line loses too, but for the most part, like they're kind of wandering around the wilderness. Um, they've never really been a great offensive line in recent years. Um, you look at, I mean, the front four has been, they parse through pretty bad. Linebacker position needs to be almost completely revamped. Um, I mean, depending on, like, what defensive set we're looking at from them, I mean, from all accounts, it's going to be a 4-2-5. But, I mean, the secondary, secondary is, you know, a mix of, a lot of experience and complete inexperience. I just think that while this team can be better as it buys into Dorn's system, like, let's not forget that Syracuse is better because not only are they, you know, another year into Schaefer's, Schaefer and Staff's system, but they're bringing back 17 starters. I mean, I hate to do the constant comparison between SU and NC State, but I think if you're picking one of those schools right now at, at this very minute to to finish you know, top three in this in this division, I think it's SU and landslide. Yeah, I would take SU. It just seems like we have more forward momentum, obviously. Um, we bring back more guys. Uh, I think NC State will, will be – I think it will be almost like that year where uh, the first Marone year where they knock on the door but just can't quite get over the hurdle, and then probably next year will be – um, the year where we really see the coaching change pay dividends because they they do have I mean they're they have a fair amount of seniors but Brissett should be back I mean he's a junior um, Shadrick Thornton's a junior um, a, you know they all, they have uh, you know Underwood's a senior but they have a couple of sophomores that are probably going to be the second and third receivers like they have a fair amount of uh, kids coming back um, after this season who will probably get pretty valuable experience this year. So um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they turn into a bowl team this year. Would you know Anything in the middle of the ACC can happen, aside from Wake Forest probably being good. But um, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, I, I think a lot of it, too, is the schedule. I mean, State has never, State has never been one to challenge themselves um, you know, and you look at you look at the schedule coming up. I mean, this year, Sham. Next year, I mean, they're going to have to add. Um, they're going to have to add for 2015 a major conference team. Right now, it's just Troy, ODU, and uh, South Alabama. 
2016 Notre Dame checks that box up for them, and they actually face East Carolina um, over in Greenville, and that that could actually be an interesting game. And, you know, the, it just kind of seems like the, the schedule lays out where the only time choose even test themselves without being forced to from Notre Dame are, uh, are East Carolina games. And then they face Mississippi State um, a good, like, six, seven years from now. But for the most part, yeah, they're not um, – I wouldn't say NC State is very daring on the scheduling front. And and so when, when you look at, you know, previous results in the last decade or so and you see, oh, well, if NC State can win nine games in a season, if NC State can win ten games in a season, why can't Syracuse? But you look at the schedules in the, in the season where they won nine, ten games, yes, they might have pulled off an upset and an impressive one at that um, in most cases. But at the same time, you know, the schedule was padded with, Four cupcakes. It's, I mean, you're never going to see Syracuse um, do that for the most part. I mean, we're usually we're usually going to schedule two pretty strong teams in non-conference. Um, at the very least, um, there's some rarities where where things just don't work out to be strong. But for the most part, like you're going to see us challenge ourselves year in and year out. I know there's been a bunch of articles that kind of go down this list that you know state is kind of. Um, one of the least tested teams in non-conference in the entire country over the last, I think, seven ten. Yeah, actually, talking about their schedule, they just announced, or not announced, but today it came out that they're apparently looking to schedule West Virginia uh, in 2018-2019, which is interesting because West Virginia, for whatever reason, decided that they were just going to play every major conference team in the next couple of years. Like, they play Alabama this year. They have Tennessee on the schedule. They have Virginia Tech with a three-game series already on the schedule. Um, now NC State is being worked. Uh, and then Daner Holderson today said they want to get the backyard brawl back together. So, like, apparently West Virginia is going the opposite way, and they're only going to schedule uh, major conference teams, um, which probably isn't the best idea considering that they've been completely floundering the last couple of years. See, I actually applaud them by West Virginia. I mean, yeah, they have the nine-game conference schedule already, but you look at you look at the Big Twelve's problem, and I think it's that their non-conference schedules, for the most part, are jokes. And if you have every team face each other, nobody has that marquee win, really. So if you're looking at a playoff structure and trying to identify the four best teams, if everyone in the conference has a loss or two, the Big Twelve is going to start getting passed up, and you know they can't rectify in their minds bringing in two teams that. that decrease payouts per team. So now, if you're then, the only way you're getting in is if you have marquee non-conference victories. Um, I think West Virginia understands that it's it's very much isolated where it is um, relative to the rest of the conference. Um, they're still trying to recruit Florida. They're still trying to recruit Pennsylvania. They're still trying to recruit the Ohio Valley. Um, and it's, it's t- and Virginia, and it's tough to, it's tough to do that when, when you never – you're never in those states, and you're never, um, you know, you're always in Texas, and you're, if you're in Texas, why would you go to West Virginia when there's, you know, 10 to 12 options in Texas and, and a ton more in the Big 12 that aren't West Virginia? So for them, I think it's actually a smart strategic move um, to really get themselves back into recruiting grounds where they belong. I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't think that those recruiting grounds include Syracuse, which means that um, the Schwarzwalder Trophy kind of gets to, hang out on Syracuse's campus forever and ever. But at the same time, like, I, I get it. I, I'd love to have that rivalry back. Because I actually think 
in recent years, it became one of the only ones that we had left. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at it in West Virginia, definitely has Virginia Tech and, and Pitt as, as much, much higher priorities um, in terms of rivalry than Syracuse. And I blame them for that. No, definitely not. Um, I'm actually surprised the ACC program, well, I'm not surprised because it's all nonsense, but the ACC programs have been so accommodating to schedule West Virginia after uh, their fans single-handedly tried to uh, bring down our conference. <laughs> well, I mean, the only reason that ever happened was because we told them we didn't want them. So, I think we'd be too bitter about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there was the the fact that I got to, like, apparently reached, like, the Florida State, uh, or the, the rumors they were spreading were re- going, you know, all the way to, like, the ha- top of Florida State University, like, just ridiculous. But, uh, you know, they should be fun games, at least. I always support more good non-conference football, um, even if it's, you know, with teams I don't particularly care to watch. But Western Virginia is fun sometimes. Um, not this past year, though, and... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing this year because Holgerson's probably out if they don't make a bowl, I think. I guess my problem now is, you know, we've discussed this with some other teams too, uh, with the coaches on the hot seat. If, if Holgo fails in West Virginia, like what happens next? Because now they've bought in to his, like, shoddy air raid and they don't have the personnel for that. But at the same time, they're just they're, they're bad air raid personnel on on a team that then would not be playing the air raid. So I guess I would be very curious to see, um, you know, what happens next and like what because to me that that program is hanging like they're hanging in the balance um, in terms of relevance right now. And, and if if you're West Virginia, and I'd even say if you're Syracuse and if you're some a school like Cincinnati. Um, and some others um, in both major and minor conferences. If, if you have an extended period of drop-off at this point, um, it, the way college football is rigged, um, I, it's no longer as easy to climb back up that mountain if you're not in a traditional hotbed, if that makes any sense. Oh, definitely not. I mean, there's no, for Syracuse and, and probably for West Virginia too, I mean, there's no just like plug and play. We need to capture this one recruiting area and we're all set. Like, it's, for Syracuse, I mean, anyone who follows recruiting at all has to see how creative we have to get between going to poach kids from Illinois and Florida and Jersey and Ohio. Like, we're all over the place, and that's because it's not as easy as, like, a Texas where they can sit at home and have the kids come to them. So, um, yeah, as for West Virginia, not to belabor this too much, um, I don't know, I, I think, you just hire the best coach available and give them time to work out the roster. Uh, if you're going to fire someone, you're not expecting someone to walk into that situation coming off like four-year wins or four-win years in the Big 12 and become a great team right away. So whether or not you bring an air raid guy in, I think you just need to get the best coach you think you can bring in. Or you can go try to poach Mike Leach, uh, which would be hilarious. <laughs> Or bring back Rich Rod. Funny. If they hired Rich Rod, that would really be the best. <laughs> that'd be like uh, that'd be like the Bobby Petrino hire at Louisville times like a million. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
it's also funny how, like, I feel like every podcast, like, one random team just, like, hijacks. Like, all last summer it was ECU. But I feel like since then we've actually, like, allowed – we've been, like, much more equal opportunity in terms of in terms of podcast hijackers. Like, we allowed Tulane – and we allowed Tulane an entire podcast all their own and then let their mascot hijack a whole other one. ECU manages to creep into every conversation more because they schedule, like, three ACC teams a year. Um, I know we talked about Georgia Southern for an extended period of time. And, uh, yeah, now West Virginia, Why our, our former rivals, get their place in the sun. Good for you, Mountaineers. We miss you. The most important thing your football team has done in the last two to three seasons is being mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> that, not not played a Geno's half-year Heisen run, which was fun while it lasted and did in shame and disappointment at Yankee Stadium. All right, so it ended before that. Around the same time, considering he was just not good in that game and that team was abysmal down the stretch. Uh, And I think people, I think we were the under, I think we've been in the underdog in all three of the bowl games that we've uh, gone to in the last four years. Yes, that's a fact. Right, I don't think we've been a heavy underdog in any of them, but I think we've been, like, a, a couple-point underdog in each one. Um, we were in the West Virginia game. West Virginia, I feel like people thought that they were going to blow the doors off of us. But that might have been just some writers over others. I think that was more like this team, one, Team A was really good for a couple weeks this year, and Team B we don't know that much about. So when in, when in doubt, like, we'll trust West Virginia to show up uh, and play the way we know they can after, after like, a – two-month layoff in between the season and bowl games. Um, but, nope. Stott Schaefer owns Dana Holderson, which uh, we should schedule them uh, just to get some wins. As long as Dana's still there. But why would we schedule some scrub non-conference team when we can actually schedule a good non-conference team? Very fair. <laughs> it is funny. I think I think we've kind of noticed this offseason um, – Maybe even in the middle of last season, um, in the fall, uh, kind of how how much the microscope has has increased on Syracuse football from the outside. Um, you know, I think I think we kind of got way too used to the wilderness that was the Big East, um, and that you know, like you kind of you you don't really have to do anything. You just kind of like hang around, um, and then people talk about you if you're good, and they don't if you're not, and that's it. And then out here, you know, like somebody's talking about you whether you're good or not and and that's kind of I think interesting for us to adjust to is like oh like we're talking to an opponent and that opponent knows a lot about us and like like actually has things to say and like this person who yeah we've never played you before but you've actually researched our depth chart like these, I guess these types of things are definitely an adjustment um, for a fan base standpoint like I'm a big fan uh, just because I've I spent a lot of time while we were prepping to join the ACC, kind of diving into these depth charts. And now to see that everybody else is doing the same for us, even though it might have taken six months to a year, um, is is fun. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it just helps. I mean, people have seen us now. So it's nice. I definitely feel like, I mean, I brought up a little bit before, but it it definitely feels like people are more aware of what Syracuse football is. Um, Like they even kind of know the memes a little bit and the funny little things that – um, 
you know, it didn't seem like was really uh, a big part of, you know, we it, we were definitely outsiders last year, and this year doesn't feel nearly as much like that. Totally. So, I guess looking at this roster, um, you know, obviously um, Brissette and Thornton really need to, to do something on offense. If you were to name somebody else, like just so we don't have to harp on the same two guys, who who is the one the one X factor on offense that nobody's talking about right now? Um, do you say besides uh, Brissette and Thornton? Thornton? Yeah, I mean they're too easy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Matt Days played a fair amount last year. He had four touchdowns. Um, kind of like a shorter, uh, you know, more physical back. Um, he's five nine, two hundred two, so not quite Delon Carter, but same height and just about twenty pounds lighter. But um, he, you know, they obviously used him in the red zone, um, and he, you know, put up two hundred fifty yards on fifty three carries. So he didn't get too many touches last year, but he, uh, you know, did a decent job with what he what he had, and without. Um, uh, some of the, you know, they won't have Pete Thomas running around as much. You know, he's gone. Um, I'm sure they don't want to pound Thornton to the ground too much. So I'm sure Days will get a pretty decent look. Very good call, and especially not to bring up um, Thornton's legal troubles but and, and injury problems here and there, but there's certainly no guarantees that he stays on the field um, for an extended period. I mean, we hope he does. Because I'd rather raise the team at full strength, but at the same time, it's definitely worth taking a look at days as a real option in that backfield. Um, I think for me, uh, I just really, I really focus in on you know, the fact that they had a 33-man class come in um, this past year, which is just like an insane number. And and despite the fact that you know state seems like they'd harp on on the immediate area a lot, like. They got into Georgia. They even got into Illinois. They got into Maryland, Tennessee. Like, they seem to really, like I was saying, you know, Doran's going to get his guys in, in the door, and and he definitely, you know, started started doing so uh, with with force this past offseason. And to me, actually, one of those guys is, is my key, is uh, uh, Tony Adams, who should be taking over at, uh, at center for them. He's a... True freshman, I think he's really going to hold the key, um, to, you know, protecting Brissett and really uh, setting, it, setting it up for success. So while he might not be the, the biggest name or, or the best of the other players on this team, um, I do think that Adams kind of, you know, could, could serve a role of X factor in, in terms of you know just how far this team goes. I'm always down with that. <laughs> yeah, we like showing love to offensive linemen around here. Got it, or else you know, no one, no one will if you don't. Unless you're Bud Elliott, and in that case, Bud, Bud can write more about offensive line than anyone I've ever seen. It doesn't hurt that his don't give up any sacks or any negative plays. <laughs> I would write about our offensive line all day if they uh, if they performed <laughs> like Florida State's on a week to week basis. Although I think ours will be pretty good this year. I'm excited. Yeah, I know. I'm very intrigued because of all the stuff that's been coming out the last couple of weeks. Um, more so than anywhere else on our team right now, uh, I would have 
said Rob Trudeau was like the person behind Sean Hickey that was guaranteed to start, and he's not maybe. So who knows what's going on, but I think it's it's a good problem because we have a bunch of guys that seem like they can play, like more than five, which you need. Yeah, I think that's like the big thing. I know last year, um, was it Palmer who came in or Lasky? It was Lasky that came in and and like for for a bit, and I was just not I was not impressed. And I mean, it's it's not Lasky's fault. He was kind of thrown in like without warning, really needed to really needed to perform. And I guess now what I'm seeing is is you know the depth chart looks like it's two three deep at every spot. These guys that are being challenged for starting positions. I mean, yes, it's great to have, you know, that starting five that just goes, you know, all 12 to 13 games, and that's exciting. And it's great to have that continuity, but at the same time, um, the fact that these guys are getting challenged and the fact that maybe we can get these guys some more rest um, and and have, you know, a, a nice rotation going um, of, you know, seven or eight guys that we can that we can really plug in, I think that might actually do us a lot more good in the long run. Yeah, I'm not always a fan of switching in and out too much on the offensive line because I, I'm a believer in trying to find you know continuity. But I think we have an interesting group of players where Palmer, I think, is way more prone to being like a bull, uh, just a really great run blocker. Um, kind of like Trudeau is, where a rot- Nick Robinson I can see being a little more fleet of foot and maybe being a better pass protector. So I don't know if we'll use them situationally like that, but um, it doesn't hurt to have the uh, guys available if you need someone to get a, a breather or just want to get a different person in there to stay fresh. Um, but again, I mean, I'd rather have seven good linemen than five, even if now the coaches need to do a little bit more work to figure out who's going to play. Um, and because I believe in, I mean, Robinson, I thought had a, a much better year than I expected him to last season. Uh, I thought Trudeau was very good last year. Um, I'm a big Amari Palmer fan, going back to seeing him in high school when he was just a m- complete man amongst boys on Long Island. Um, and then the reports on John Miller are great. Like If he can t- step up in that center role and we don't have to move Trudeau, um, I think that's I think that, that has the highest ceiling in terms of like how good our offensive line can be. And that's spot on. And I guess the same question for the defense. Um, like you said, I mean, they they lose about half their defense from last year, but admittedly, like, this group is still in the process of switching to a 4 2 5. So, you know, who, who is you, who's your guy? Um, I don't think there's any one name that seems obvious, and there's a lot of, of interesting names. So feel free, step chart away. And, and pick who you think might be have the biggest impact for them. Um, they have a decent amount of uh, returning pass rush numbers. Like their pass rush numbers aren't too bad. Um, Art Norman and Thomas Teal, uh, two defensive linemen, had uh, Teal had ten and a half tackles for loss. Norman had nine. One of the, their their one returning experienced linebacker, Brandon Pittman, had eight tackles for loss. Uh, those three guys combined for like ten and a half sacks. So they have um, some pass rushers coming back. Uh, obviously, they say they lose Robert Caldwell. Um, they lose uh, Carlos Gray, who had two and a half sacks last year. But I think that's one of the things where you can say, you know, they, they have guys coming back that you know can get to the quarterback. No one's prolific, but 
I mean, we've seen some of the Syracuse defenses. Like, you don't need to have one guy that does everything. I mean, we did last year. We had Bromley. But if you just add enough pieces together, you can get a pretty solid pass rush. And then their their defensive backfield, um, they have a, a number of guys who played pretty solid time last season. Um, and then one of them who only played half the year, Jarvis Bird, uh, probably one of the more uh, high-ceiling guys on that defense at safety. Um so I think they have – it's tough to know exactly what they'll look like um, with some of those linebackers out and they lose a couple guys uh, in the backfield on the line. But I think it's a, a pretty interesting group coming back. Um, I don't know how much big play potential they'll have, but I think that it could have the makings of a, of a decent defense next year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think a big part of that is uh... – I think there's some seniority left here. I think, you know, the, the transition now that we're in year two, it starts to take hold for some guys and for the guys that are new. Um, you know, th- there's much less of a ramp to get to that system. Um, for me, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the pass rush. Um, what I see is, uh, you know, again, a ton of people in this, con- a ton of schools in this conference have have new quarterbacks. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more running the ball this year, even than last year when I felt like a lot of teams are running the ball. Um, and I think that defensive line is really going to play a huge role. You know, T.Y. McGill is a senior this year. Um, he's over at the DN spot. No, sorry, defensive tackle spot. Um, and he's been able from that spot to uh, to get into the backfield, uh, get after passers, and I think he's really going to play a big role um, in, in stopping the run this year. And I think that's going to kind of be – you know, what propels this group into maybe the top half defensively. Uh, like I said, he was injured last year, but uh, in 2012, I, he definitely was 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 quicker, was more physical, um, and and if he's back and completely healthy this year, I think you're going to see, um, I mean, definitely not a game changer, but at the same time, a guy who's going to help take pressure off the rest of the line um, and also free up those, uh, those linebackers uh, to really kind of hang out in open space. I think the one, I mean, they, the the question I think on the defensive line will have to be who's playing defensive end across from Norman, um, because three of their top four returners at the defensive line spot um, are interior linemen between Teal, uh, T.Y. Jail and, and Monty Nelson. They're all pretty solidly inside guys. I don't know how many, if any of them, will be able to play on the outside. So it looks like they'll, I'd say probably Mike Rose, just looking at the numbers. Um, he had a couple pass deflections last year, a couple sacks. Uh, 14 tackles. He played in every game. Um, you know, not huge tackle numbers, but I think he's probably the most natural fit to play that other defensive end position, um, aside from one of the freshmen who we haven't seen. So, uh, and they did sign a couple four-star defensive ends last year. So maybe one of those guys sees the field. But that's really the one hole up on the defensive line. But in, in the inside of the line, they, they're pretty well stocked. Uh, again, not to not to only make comparisons to Syracuse, but you know that's our frame of reference. Um, not too unlike the 2010 defensive line where you had the three tackles, uh, Andrew Lewis, Bud Tribby, um, and I'm forgetting one, and I feel bad if they're, if they're listening. Uh, we have three, three seniors who rotate, rotated in and out, and they have the same thing. They have, um, Nelson's a sophomore, but they have two other seniors, and uh, that's always good to have. I'm, I, I think being able to play a bunch of defensive linemen, um, especially tackles, which Syracuse does as well, is always a good thing. 
I totally agree. And I think you're dead on with Rose, too. Um, I actually forgot about him. I remember um, he was kind of a riser um, going into last season, and I think he's – it seems like he, he's going to round into into someone that can make an impact. Again, I don't think this defense is geared toward having standout guys, um, you know, in that front six, but who knows? Maybe it's him. But with that, halftime, that means we're talking about drinks. So what have you been drinking, Dan? Uh, we put my untap. I didn't have it open. I'm, I'm rusty here. I haven't been on in a couple of weeks. Um, I have had a couple of things. I mean, I've had a decent amount uh, since I was last on here, though, so it shouldn't be too difficult to find some stuff, and I'm clearly stalling for time here. <laughs> you might want to go, go ahead first, and I'll, I'll pitch it up afterwards. Sure. Um... So, like I mentioned last week, I've been drinking a bunch of the uh, Beer Camp Across America's box from uh, Sierra Nevada. Those have all been uh, good beers. Uh, nothing like, I would say, life-changing yet, but uh, we still got about four left. So, uh, I've been drinking Chico King, the Pale Ale collaboration between Sierra Nevada and Three Floyds. Um, yeah, Ivan the Great, which was a uh, blonde and that was made with Sierra Nevada and uh, Russian River. Really enjoyed um, Hocker Mechanics IPA from Beachwood Brewing when I was uh, down along Long Beach over the weekend. It's nice to get that. Uh, Noble Ale Works Naughty Sauce while I was down there. It's uh, not bottled, unfortunately, but um, for those who know Noble Ale Works, uh, Naughty Sauce is like a really interesting um, sugary, I'd say, yeah, I'd go with sugary. It, it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a sweet, like golden sweet stout. Um, it's very deceptive, but the heavier beer kind of tastes like uh, cinnamon toast crunch in like a, a very delicious way. So I would highly recommend that. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely something worth grabbing. Oh, I also grabbed uh, consecration from Russian River for those who are familiar with their sours. Um, Consecration is one of the good ones, and uh, he's a big fan. Sorry, I'm just like droning on with beers. I've uh, been drinking quite a bit lately, probably to my own health detriment. Uh, and then Electric Ray, uh, which is an IPA from Sierra Nevada and uh, Alice Point, also in the beer camp box, uh, might be my favorite of that group, but we shall see. Yeah, that's everything for me. All right, um, I have a couple interesting things. Um, that I don't think I've touched on since last time I was on. Um, I had Flying Fish Brewing's Farmhouse Summer Ale, um, which a couple weeks ago, um, I gave it, it's uh, a New Jersey brewer. It's a pretty solid, kind of nice, summery, it's a blonde ale. Um, they called it a farmhouse ale, but it wasn't like a overly, like, you know, it wasn't a Saison or anything. Um, but really... Solid, drinkable. I haven't had too many New Jersey native brewery uh, brews, so that was nice. I was down the shore when I had that. Um, I had Half Full, uh, which is the brewery here in my hometown of Stanford. Um, they released a peach wheat, which was really nice. Uh, very light, but not overly fruity. Um, almost had kind of the same qualities as like a sour, um, but then a nice wheat finish, uh, which as anyone who's listened to the podcast more than once, knows that I'm a fan of. Um, 
and then I had a um, it's a I think it's it's a Witterkirch or Witterkirchy. Um, it's Belgian. I don't don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but it's a it's a whip beer. Um, again, big fan of the entire genre, and it's summer, so it's good to good to have them refreshing. And then just as I you know usually go to bat for them, uh, a lot of two roads. Um, their Honey Spot uh, White IPA is is fantastic, um, and continue to drink a bunch of that. So always good. Um, Glad I had a couple new contributions. I know the last couple times I was on here, I didn't get to add too much. So, plenty of uh, good stuff going on here in the summer. Um, great, great drinking time, I think. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, IPAs are always delicious. I know some of my favorite doubles come out, but it's kind of tough to drink those outside. Uh, <laughs> like when you're when you're trying to down a uh, 10.8% hop bomb like uh, like Ruin 10. It doesn't go well with heat, but plenty of yeah, like, good things are like, uh, yeah. I know uh, Dodger Stadium's really improved their craft beer selection lately. So anytime I'm over there, I've been drinking uh, Golden Rose 329 Lager. Basically, uh, if Bud Light was good, um, this is what it would taste like. And it's light. It's not overly filling. It's fine to drink outside in 90-degree heat. Um, so that's I guess another recommendation for me. I've also been drinking, um, I don't think you guys get it out there, but uh, Santan's uh, Mr. Pineapple. Hmm. It's a, uh, the pineapple wheat beer. It is, uh, I've had a pineapple wheat. Breakfast. I don't that one, though. Yeah, that one, I think it's brewed in Arizona, but pretty refreshing stuff. Definitely on the recommended list from me. Yeah, that's uh, that's beer for this week. Also, Dan, I noticed you've checked into 444 total beers, so let's just uh, give that. you a I'm round of applause not, for that. I'm not going to quit drinking now. I'm I'm going sober <laughs> just to He's that tired. <laughs> I feel like it's as good as, ti- as good a time as any to renounce my drinking habits yeah. in order to keep up some really silly uh, tradition, you know, somewhat college-associated tradition here. Well, since I'm already well past that number, I guess I'm going to have to drink till it's 4444. Uh, four, four, four. <laughs> so I've got another 3,000 beers to go. I have 230 uniques, which is definitely impressive. I'm surprised that that's that high. So I might have to work to dip that to 444. That seems like a, a more noble role. Yeah. I don't think anyone judge you for that. No. And if they are, I'm just not going to tell them. So doesn't yeah. no, no judge allowed here. All right, so I guess back to empty space, begrudgingly. Uh, <laughs> we have to. Um, as per usual, the schedule. And if we wrap up early, we can talk about other stuff. So. By the way, that last so, 2010 defense was Anthony Perkins. I forgot. So, <laughs> Perk, if you're if you're listening, I apologize. And I looked up the roster and made sure to shout you out as that final member of that triumvirate. Never leave a man behind. No. Can't do it. Yeah, looking up NC State's schedule. Um, as we said, this is not an exciting group of teams. So uh, Georgia Southern starts. And you know what? Like, I would have entertained an upset a couple of years ago when Georgia Southern was still, like, a, a power team. 
at the FCS level, but that's not the case here. Um, state win. I, I see the beginning of this season get very reminiscent of last um, for state. So, so we're starting off one of them. Um, as much as we enjoy Georgia Southern, um, then I'd give it to state here. This is really this is a really milquetoast uh, non-conference slate for them. I'm looking now. Um, not really challenging themselves too much, but I guess if you're rebuilding, you might as well take it easy for a couple of weeks before you dive into Florida State at the end of September, not to jump too far ahead. <laughs> Note to Dr. Gross, if you're rebuilding, go easy on the schedule. He's not listening. No, he's not. Although he might be, never know. Uh, like half the... I mean, he might be listening, but he doesn't care. <laughs> we're we're playing MetLife teams and we're bringing an LSU... <laughs> He's not. He's not listening to our advice. If he is listening, he to our hears. Advice. He hears what we're saying. He doesn't care. Nope. Probably for the best. Um, yeah, Dominion again. Another uh, another team that they should be. I actually, I'm pretty high on ODU this year. I don't know why. Uh, I've got them at six and six and making a ball game. Unless they can't. I don't know. Are they ineligible this year? I have no I idea. Like fully, I feel like they're fully in. I mean, they're playing a full conference schedule with uh, the last year. Yeah, I thought last year was transition year, but I didn't know if there was like a probationary year. I don't know. I don't think. I feel like there isn't. I mean, if besides the, I think once you play a full schedule, I think you're okay. But I could be wrong. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to pick ODU to beat NC State. Um, I know they have a, a pretty decent quarterback that people like, um, but I'm not going to go that aggressive. Um, I do like that NC State not only <laughs> decided to play Georgia Southern, a brand-new D1A team, or D1A team, but they're also playing another brand-new D1A team at ODU and then also have an FCS team um, in Presbyterian in two weeks from the ODU game. So they went with three teams that were or are FCS team that were playing FCS football, what, two years ago? <laughs> that is correct. Because, again, if you look at State's win total, they are very deceptive. And then the last team is South Florida, which was playing FCS football like 15 years ago. So none, none of these schools are... Or when South Florida, Florida come this year. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea what they're going to be like. They they can't be worse, I don't think. I mean, but the Bulls finished strong last year. Yeah, they got better over the year, but they weren't good. But I think right. Taggart's a better coach than what was shown last year. Um, and it was, you know, he took over a program that, that Stipholtz just destroyed. Um, thank God we didn't get Stipholtz to coach this team. I think we, we've talked about that before. People really no, wanted to dip hold. <laughs> and we didn't get him, and it wasn't our choice, I don't think. I think if Stipholtz really wanted to go Cherry, he would have. Um, that was a bullet completely dodged. And FYI, if we had if we had fallen into, like, eight straight years of, of absolute destitute football, we weren't coming back from that. Oh, my, I can't even imagine. Because, like, not only was he bad at South Florida, but he's not really doing anything good at – Louisiana Tech either. Like that was a pretty strong program when when uh, Sunny Dykes left, and weren't they pretty terrible last year too? 
Uh, they were god awful last year. Actually. I think mean, they were like two and two. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Holtz is just the destroyer of somewhat decent uh, mid-level uh, college football teams between South Florida, which was a at the time a major conference team, but a low-level one, and then Louisiana Tech, which I I think I wrote something about Sunny Dice the other day. Um, I'm pretty sure at Louisiana Tech he had the the number one offense in terms of yards in the country. His one of his uh, years there, like they were a fun team, and Sip Holtz is not a not a fun coach. <laughs> Louisiana Tech played in one of the most fun games I've ever watched. That that Louisiana Tech A and M barn burner from 2012. You remember that one? They, it, it went to like it went like past midnight Eastern time. Like, was that the double, double overtime or overtime? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, yeah, I remember. It, no, it never got to overtime, but it for for an extended period in the fourth quarter, Tech and A and M were like neck were, were were tied. Oh, that was like well, that was on a Mandel's like coming out parties. All right, I was thinking of a different. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what Mandel like Manziel announced is, himself as a as a Heisman contender. Oh. God, Texas A&M's defense is a mess. <laughs> I don't know. I think it should be better this year, but they had Johnny Manziel for two years, and they had a, they had some success. But Louisiana Tech dropped fifty-seven on them in this game. This game was <laughs> and this was so the better. Of, yeah, this is the better of the two A&M defenses as well. Like last year's was even worse. Oh, I mean, I had a blast watching this game. I was just, like, sitting on my couch. Yeah, like, but I definitely remember that it happened. So somehow Louisiana Tech last year, so now a, a year after putting up 57 points on uh, an SEC team that beat Alabama, um, averaged 19.2 points and was 113th in the country uh, under under Stipholtz. Well, you've got a couple of factors there, though. Couple of factors. You had a program demoralized because they didn't want to go to a certain bowl game. You had Sunny oh, Dykes leaving. That old thing. Right. You had Sunny Dykes leaving to go to Cal, and he's actually done the same thing at Cal. So it's proven that he has an instant. I mean, Cal's in winning games, but he did the same thing at Cal and had an instant improvement to stats across the board on offense. Um, I think they lost something like ridiculous, like 17 starters between 2012 and 2013. Like, it was a ridiculous number. Um, so, I mean, while I, I love to pile on Kip here, and I agree he deserves some blame at the same time, there were so many factors that, that ensured he was going to fail last year. Yeah, but that's the I think the bigger problem. story is how far USF managed to tumble in a very short amount of time. Well, he's ran out of players. Like, he was not – he. I, I'm pretty sure he just stopped recruiting altogether at it, uh, when it looked like he was getting fired. Like, I don't think he for, – for a team in South Florida – well, a team called South Florida, um, they they sure didn't take advantage of, of the geographical uh, misdirection that they play on everyone. Um, because uh, he just – I think Taggart signed a really good plot this year, but the Holtz tenure didn't end well on that front. Well, I think Colts was just like, screw it, man. Like, if I'm leaving, like, I'm I'm watching this thing burn. And, like, if I'm mean, leaving, I'm watching Netflix every night. I'm not calling any high schoolers. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hope no, like, my dad doesn't talk about TV. He's like someone who wasn't content with just setting the barn on fire. 
he decided to cover the barn in gasoline. Like, just Basically, to make sure like, that the dried wood and hay burst into place. It's like he knew he was getting fired, but still had to come in for like two weeks, so he'd come in with like an unbuttoned like Hawaiian shirt every day and yeah, just see how long and uh, put up with him at, at, at the job until he had to leave. Oh, man, this is... Uh, I didn't realize that uh, we could just hate on Skip Holtz for an entire podcast. I didn't realize we were going to get to that point, but I, I knew it. I mean, I, I was, I'm not shocked that we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we... At least once for podcast, we snowball into something that catches fire. So... Yes. And they're opening with Oklahoma this year, uh, Louisiana Tech. So have fun, cool. Skip. Have a, have a day. That's predicted final score, I got 84 to nothing. I'll go uh, 70 to 3. <laughs> so only slightly worse than our loss to Florida State. That didn't happen. Damon said we played tough. We still lost by 56, and it could have been still making it. we were a good football team. I trust Jameis Winston, except for yeah, around I, I my season. Possibly other things. Uh, all right, back to UNC State. Um, <laughs> you can tell how little we want to talk about NC State, because we've gone on <laughs> some serious tangents tonight. <laughs> there's, just those, there's just those teams that we just don't care about, and it's completely obvious. Uh, so, yeah, um, can they beat South Florida in, well, can they beat South Florida in Tampa? Because let's be real, it's, they're not in South Florida. Like every South Florida game is a neutral site game. Um, I have no clue. I don't know. I, I feel like they should. Uh, South Florida still, I mean, they weren't, it's not like they were good last year, but I think they're expected to make a pretty big bounce back. But, I'll take State. Um, I mean, it's not like either team is in a much better uh, part of the rebuild here. Like, they're both second-year coaches. Um, State, they both recruited well last year, but, uh, you know, I don't know how many true freshmen will be playing out there. Um, I'll do it State by default, uh, but I can see it going either way. I can see South Florida having, like, a real solid year next year. Um, And I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel great about it, but I'll take state. Um, but don't hold me to it come uh, come September 13th. Yeah, same. I mean, if this is a real road game that, like, mattered in any way, shape, or form or had a real crowd, um, I'd take South Florida. But since that's not the case, um, I'm going with state here. It's just like I'm cringing at the 3-0 start, but at the same time you look at who the 3-0 start would be against. And you're but they started three and one. Yeah, like they started. Yeah, they one last year, and that thing turned into a goddamn like boat fire. So anyway, I think that we had to talk about Presbyterian because anytime Presbyterian faces an, an ACC team, they just get taken to the woodshed. The blue hose. <laughs> Worst name. Our, our women's basketball team played them one year, and I was. For whatever reason, I was at the game. I think it was one of those back-to-back games they played with a men's team. And I couldn't believe that they were named after a stocking 
and that they actually went by the nickname the Blue Hose. Like that not everyone can be named after. Not everyone can be named after a color. Turnover after a a sock. <laughs> a sock with a color. So maybe I don't know. That's kind of better, in some ways. I mean, there are other sock color sports teams, but they're they're very ingrained in the culture, so they're not so weird. You do you, Presbyterian. You're different. <laughs> Never change. Stay gold, Tommy boy. Stay gold. Yeah, seriously. So, Florida State's next on the schedule, and uh, this is going to be a laugher. Just because, again, NC State's not ready. Um, I don't really buy into the mystique of Carter-Finley Stadium. I don't think it's a real thing. Um, I think that two years ago... I think Florida State was caught napping. I think Jimbo took his foot off the gas, and I think that's why they lost to NC State in one of the more notable uh, you know, top five upsets in, in recent years. Uh, but I, this is not that team. They don't have the senior quarterback in Mike Glennon, who's been there forever. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a joke. I, forgot, I didn't realize. Like, it feels like that was so much longer ago. Like, But... Yeah, I remember watching that game at, uh, I think it was either in Chucks or, like, maybe DJs for some reason, uh, watching that North Carolina State fan, uh, the notorious one who was waving his shirt around. Um, yeah, Florida State's going to trample NC State. Because if, if they weren't going to do it already, they have the built-in, like, hey, remember last time we came here? Like, there's no way NC State's going to sneak up on them. Like, Florida State's going to send a message to that stadium. And it's the first yeah. ACC game, I think, for both teams. Like, yeah, there's, there's, they're, they're just stomped. And there's no, there's no real, there's no real, uh, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, everyone else is too, but it's not to be ugly. Yeah, there's going to be a disaster. Um, that said, I think, I doubt probably too many people buying into state. I mean, maybe somebody from, like, the News Observer gives them a few votes in the in the rankings the week before. For the most part, like, nobody's going to be buying into the state team, and, and then this, this resounding loss will kind of just hammer that point home. Speaking of votes, this has nothing to do with what we've talked about so far, but I wanted to point out, because I feel like I had to bring this up on the podcast, uh, the Big 12 did their uh, their their player vote thing where they have, like, the players take anonymous polls. And someone filled in Kansas under team that is most overrated. <laughs> <laughs> one one player, and like I'm pretty sure they meant to put Kansas State, but they didn't. They put Kansas, and I I try I thought about tweeting it before, and I did, ran out of character, so I didn't do it. But like, what does he expect out of Kansas? Like to win negative games? Like, how is Kansas possibly Man. overrated? <laughs> like, they, they can't be overrated. They're they're so bad. Charlie White could do it if it was someone who could who, who could find a way to win negative games. I I I nominate him. The the tweet from a couple of weeks ago of Charlie White at the at Arrowhead Stadium said, talking about how nice the turnout was when there was like fourteen people in the stands is still one of my favorite things that happened this off season. I I definitely put it up there. I mean the the. The Jameis Winston Crab situation might be number one. That's, that's, that's got to be up there. That's just so 
so absurd. Um, I wrote about something today where Brad Petty, like, Art Bryles uh, said that, like, in, in not Brad, did I say Brad Petty, Bryce Petty, um, he said that Bryce Petty should be a Heisman candidate because enough people know him around like the country, and he randomly decided to say that people in Salem, Oregon, who work at Dairy Queen, would know who he is. So uh, uh, the Oregonian called up all the Dairy Queens in Salem, and no one knew who Bryce Petty was. And then apparently one of them felt bad and put out on their sign, uh, we're fans of Bryce Petty. So Art Bryles was right after uh, almost being proven wrong by by the Oregonian. But at the end, he, he came out on top, and... Bryce Petty probably gets free ice cream when he goes to Salem, Oregon, if that ever happens. So do it for him. Entrepreneurial of him. Yeah, he didn't really have anything to do with it. He just got kind of put on the spot by his coach. Sure. All right, so next. Got a bunch today. Yeah, no, it's actually really good. I mean, just like a good PI for them. Getting the... Uh... Like they got roped into something they had no business being a part of, and then got to weigh in on college football. From a completely different part of the country. Yep. And so Clemson. Um, this is not only Clemson, which is still going to be a difficult game this year, but at Clemson. Um, this is another loss in case anyone was, was thinking they'd shake off the FSU defeat. Um, this, I mean, this is a pretty wacky schedule setup of like. Four straight just kind of meh games followed by, like, the two toughest you're going to play all season. So this is definitely a loss. Um, there's too many questions on defense or state. Clemson's offense is still going to be, I mean, maybe not the level of last year, which I think was operating incredibly efficiently, but, but it's still going to be firing all cylinders. I don't, I don't see this one lasting very long, despite the fact that state has played Clemson fairly well in recent years. Yeah, I just think um, NC State's offense is still probably more of a work in progress than the defense is, and I wouldn't want to play Clemson in that scenario, and I definitely wouldn't want to play at Clemson in that scenario. So, yeah, it won't be the beatdown that Florida State is, and maybe they even uh, can keep it close if if Brissette's really good. Um, Maybe I'll put some points on the board, but uh, I feel very comfortable taking Clemson. Boston College, this one um, this one is kind of a make or break for me in terms of whether they whether they finish fifth or sixth. Um, I like what BC has. I like what State will have. Um, giving, I mean, two, I mean, you're looking at just, there's a lot of people that need to be replaced on pulp teams. I don't really think there's a clear... There's no clear better team, and obviously by that point in the season we'll know much more. I'm going with State, but I'm not thrilled about it. Yeah, I think this is just one of those, like, then I go with the home team here. Um, I think State and BC are at very similar levels. Uh, if this was earlier in the season, maybe BC would have a bit more of an edge. But they're still breaking in a lot of new pieces as well. Um, and a transfer quarterback, like everyone else in this conference. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to go with you on the state pick. Uh, I actually thought we might actually, you know, diverge here, but, uh, I, I think state will take it just, just the home factor I think is, is the determining one there because 
these two teams actually feel a lot very similar. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree there. And uh, at Louisville, um, I think Louisville gets a lot of credit here, um, and and the way they're coming into the conference. I think they're they've done a nice job of, of putting together a, uh, a roster that should be able to compete at a major conference level right away. Um, so yeah, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Louisville. I I know Mark Ennis and I talked a couple weeks ago, and we both said that this has a potential to be a rivalry. Um, I just don't know if this is the year that starts that off. I just think, you know, again, the Cardinals just seem like they're they're too far ahead of state right now. It doesn't mean that they can't catch up, but but I think Louisville um, will have their will have everything together on offense, and that'll be enough to to overpower the state defense and. Even if they don't have to bring their best stuff, like you said, um, you know the, the NC State offense is a work in progress, and it's just not going to be able to keep up with with the Louisville offense. That should be it should be a much much different animal from what we saw last year from them. Yeah, I think unless Will Gardner is a disaster, which I don't have any reason to believe he will be. I know we've talked about him before. Like we don't know if he'll be great, but I think you know, I don't I don't know that he'd be awful. Um, just I haven't seen him. But they have so many weapons. Like people don't, I think, realize how good Louisville's receiving core is. It could be the deepest in the in the league. Um, I'm sure Florida State will probably refute that, and rightfully so. But besides Florida State, I think Louisville probably takes it. Um, and as long as Gardner can throw the ball a little bit, like they just have a lot of things going for them on offense. So the Cardinals should take that one pretty easily. So where are we at now? We both say five uh, and some team three. In New York. I think we both have them at five wins, actually. Five and three. So so five and three with a month to play, um, and they're headed up to Syracuse after a week off. Um, we already said if you're looking at these two teams matched up against one another, there's there's very little reason to cease. State as as the better team, people will find a way and have been finding ways. It seems, um, but I just don't see how State could be a better team than Syracuse right now, um, based on the personnel and what we know about them. Um, offense, defense, it's it's not going to be um, you know a blowout by any means. But at the same time, like don't be surprised if it's something on the same level as last year, like a fourteen point, twenty point win. Yeah, I think it'll be a similar game to last year. I think both teams will look a little more competent. Um, the Dome will be a factor. Like, if this game was down in Raleigh this year, maybe NC State would have a better shot at sneaking up on, well, not sneaking up, but at beating Cuse. But um, I just think both teams got will probably be similarly better than they were last year, and Syracuse won pretty handily. Um, and the Dome doesn't, you know, isn't great to team, bad te- or not bad teams, but Syracuse, we've, we've handled our business there for the most part, uh, aside from some, you know, last second nonsense. So I'm pretty comfortable. I think we'll, we'll knock off state. And then Georgia Tech, um, 
this one's always a tough one to call because it really depends on. I mean, you look at Atlantic teams heading down there. It's not like they've done a ton of. Uh, not like they've done a ton of playing them lately. So there's there's a lot of question marks. Um, I'm gonna take Georgia Tech, um, mostly because, you know, it's not as if I, I don't really buy into Carter Finley is a, is a great home field advantage. Um, and I just think that with Paul Johnson kind of coaching for his job and State likely in the Coastal race mostly because of uh, the fact that division's all up in the air. Um, I've got Tech, uh, but not by much. I just think it'll be it'll be difficult for them to run their tip, their their four two five um, against this triple option and be successful. Um, I'm actually going to take NC State, um, if only because Georgia Tech seems to be a total train wreck this offseason. Uh, they just had three players kicked off the team today, and then another one um, suspended. They, they're, you know, they have a change at quarterback. They're losing a bunch. Um, aside from the Syracuse team, they weren't that great a team last year. Uh, and I feel like NC State's just kind of due to win one of these games uh, against the mid-level of the ACC. So it's probably not wise of me to pick NC State, considering we know firsthand what a first-time coach uh, going up against Georgia Tech looks like. But games at home, as whatever for whatever that means, uh, Tech, for whatever reason, just seems to be in disarray, more so than the other teams in the ACC this offseason. So I'm going to take State, and uh, they might get blown up by 50. I'm fully aware of that. So I'll, I'll, I'll ride with the Wolfpack and get them to bowl eligibility there. Which which means looking at next week, like I did not expect going into this exercise that I was pitching state to win seven games, but that out of conference schedule is something. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Wake, um, I think Wake is going to be a, a candidate for the second annual. You're going two and ten, and you'll like the award um, here on the podcast. And. You know what? Like I, I've been doing the, the position by position breakdown for the ACC uh, on the blog, and I'll be honest, like I don't. I, I've been through all the offensive positions, and there's not much to be thrilled about um, down in Winston Salem. Um, that's encouraging for for the other teams in the Atlantic. Not so encouraging for their, the team Deacons. Um, if NC State. I mean, in Dan's scenario, this team's already won six games. In my scenario. Um, they've only won five, so I think this gets into bowl eligibility, um, and I don't think it's going to be that close of a game, just simply because Wake Forest just has a lot they need to fix, um, personnel-wise, and I think Clawson's the right guy, but I think it's going to take him a couple of years. Yeah, we've made the comparisons between what NC State went through last year and what Wake is going through this year, um, and I think they're fairly apt, just considering you know, Mac coach from the Midwest going to a North Carolina school that's, you know, had a long-time coach who had middling success before. Obviously, Grobe had a higher upside than than the, the notorious T.O.B., but, um, you know, he won the ACC. But, yeah, Wake's not going to be good next year. Um, and it seems like their fans kind of are at peace with it. Uh, they're almost like Houston Astros fans or or Philadelphia 76ers fans, but they don't have draft picks that come at the end of it, so I'm not sure how how patient they'll be. But, I mean, it's, it's a total rebuild. Um, you're going from a long-time tenure 
where and then they still lost a bunch of like probably their all their most important players from last year, which is a really nasty combo um, when you're coming off a bad season. So it's going to be a, a, a choppy ride for week four as on the way back up. Um, and NC State will take this one. Hello? Sorry, I was muted. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't think I got disconnected. I didn't hear anything. This is what happens when you mute. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, happened to all of us. So many times. Yeah, I, uh, you know, we'll talk about North Carolina next week, but I, uh, I definitely see them as my kind of ACC dark horse this year. Um, so with that in mind, um, and I'll put aside all the wackiness that happens in this rivalry and, and go with, with the team that should win, um, the Tar Heels. I think that'll probably wrap up their uh, their title, well, their division title. But, you know, we'll see. Um, I think Carolina just has them more together. I think that their transition under Fedora is obviously a year ahead. Um, they've been able to get different personnel in quicker. I think that's going to pay a lot of dividends. So, um I'm definitely going with uh, North Carolina, which will knock NC State down to six and six in my book, but that'll still get them a bowl game just because of how many bowl times the ACC has now, which is pretty big enough. Yeah, I have them. I have North Carolina beating State uh, as well. Um, just they're a better team at this juncture. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing all the different coastal predictions because they're so all over the place. Um, I've probably seen, like, five different teams pick to win the, the division, um, and, like, the entire top six is just a mess, and I'm sure there have been even the people who think Virginia did out of the basement. Um, I, we've, I, I've seen some debate as to what it'd be, if it would be better if we were on that side. Um, probably if we want to win the division anytime soon, but it's just so crazy over there. Like, all the teams are just so – there's so much parity. Um it's kind of funny to see, uh, especially me with Media Day, all the people choosing their their winners and making their ranking predictions. Spot on. So yeah, so NC State's a bowl team, but <laughs> not by a huge amount, um, and that's kind of fun for them, I guess. Yeah, so, they'll go to like the uh, maybe I don't know what 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 ball maybe a little bit of the Bitcoin ball. Oh God, yeah, NC State seems like a natural fit for the Bitcoin ball. I don't. I, I don't, don't know really if the NC State fan base is a real a real Bitcoin fan base, but they might have to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't really see them as, as Bitcoin literate, but but that said, I mean, you never really know. These uh, these things can surprise you. Fan bases can actually be very, very uh, well versed in cryptocurrency. So, yeah, we shall see. I, uh, if there was one team I could see in the Bitcoin Bowl, it would be either them or Pitt, just because that's fun. Pitt will go to the Bitcoin Bowl and never leave. They'll kind of go to the Bitcoin Bowl and just it'll be uh, Birmingham all over again. 
they could seeing them in St. Petersburg would be a great time. Just like on a on a very consistent <laughs> you have to go here basis. Yeah, it's uh I'm just glad we have the Bitcoin bowl in our lives. <laughs> I mean it's certainly it's certainly become one of my quickly become one of my favorite parts of college football is the fact that the Bitcoin bowl is a thing and the fact that it takes place in the least Bitcoiny place on earth in St. Petersburg. <laughs> yeah. There's no Bitcoin being traded in St. Petersburg. Not yet. Not- I'm sure you'll be able to buy all your concessions with it, though, the game, which will be sweet for the strange crossover uh, college football fan slash, uh, like you said, cryptocurrency user. Um, not sure how much of a crossover that is, but we're going to find out, and I'm excited. I, I want to know what the most Bitcoin – I wish someone would do a, a study on what college fa- football fan base have the highest density of Bitcoin users. Um, almost definitely Stanford. Yeah, that's kind of obvious, actually. Now that I think about it, <laughs> that has to be it. I was trying to, I was trying to think there, like, what would be there funny. No other answer. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one. <laughs> uh, that's unfortunate. It's too obvious. I thought it would be funnier. Oh well. All right. Well, on that note, um, I guess we can put state to bed. Um, Dan, appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, glad to be glad to be back on the uh on the run of, of shows here. What do we have next week? We had uh oh North Carolina, we said that. Yeah, okay, North Carolina. We actually since we missed a week somewhere in there, we're gonna have to double up one week, so people be prepared for that. Um but yeah. That was Dan. I'm John. Um everyone be sure to tune in to Trending Netflix Podcast pretty much every week, at least once, if not twice. Um, subscribe, rate us, do all nice things that makes other people want to listen to us as well, and uh, go Orange, despite the fact that no Orange teams are currently competing. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.